right, so Joseph Smith had an experience in the woods in New York. He actually had an experience with an extraterrestrial. He probed me and then different ones of them come in and all of them probed me. And I believe that it was the Asani people. There are those who believe that life here began out there. But only an account of this earth and the inhabitants thereof give I unto you. Earth is a grand experiment. Far across the universe with a council of gods whose work and glory is to bring to pass the immortality and eternal life of man. For behold, there are many worlds that have passed away by the word of my power, and there are many that now stand, and innumerable are they unto man. For as man is, God once was, and as God is, man may become. You wanted to learn how to integrate duality. You wanted to learn how to take light and dark and remove all judgment. Some believe that infants who die here become eternal gods out there. This is Infants on Thrones. Baby steps. Who wants someone to preach to? The philosophies of men. I like magical toys. Who wants religion to? Mingled with humor. I don't believe in them. There will be many willing to preach to you the philosophies of men mingled with humor. We are evolving. Baby steps. You can buy anything in this world of money. the good in everything look for the people who will set your soul free it always seems impossible until it's done look for the good in everyone all right here is part two of my first conversation with mike and shalice about the wendy kennedy material and some uh, stuff about Joseph Smith that you're going to be hearing about. I don't know. So Joseph Smith is a character that is directly affecting your life and you're directly affecting his life. Okay. So if you want to call him one of your past life characters, that would be correct. You belong to the same oversoul. Okay. Doesn't anyone notice this? I feel like I'm taking crazy pills. I mean, it's all fiction in the land of make-believe playing imaginational games of what-if, right? So, uh, yeah. What would you do if someone told you that one of your past lives was Joseph Smith? Yeah. yeah, we'll get to it. But now, let's pick up where we left off last time with Mike and I and Shalise talking about anger and how do you resolve anger. So what does your therapist say to you when you talk about this this anger that you have that you've that you're afraid of that you know you don't want to stuff it down and continue to repress it but you know what what do you do with it so learn to express it in a healthy way punch pillows boxing (laughs) get it out in a different way um and be okay to feel it is the thing right i think not project it i might be angry at my wife or my kids or my mom or something but instead of just lashing out at them and, and making them be like projecting my anger onto them, because that's, that's just a way of holding on to the anger as well, 
right? When I'm projecting it onto them. Um, Actually allowing myself to feel it. But the problem is when you do that, it, um, your ego kind of feels like it's going to be possessed by it, right? Mm. When, you, when you allow a, an emotion up, there's this feeling of, wow, if we let this guy out or this part of me out, I'm just going to be an asshole to everyone. Yeah. But really the opposite's true. When you recognize that in yourself, when you allow that emotion to be there, it's, it won't possess you anymore. Mm. Um, you know, there's a quote by Carl Jung who says, until you make the unconscious conscious, yeah. it will rule, rule, your, rule your life and you will call it fate. Yeah. So when you're repressing that, that um, yeah, it, it, it actually runs your life more than. Yeah. In ways that you're blind to, yeah. <laughs> you know, you don't understand that it's there. Yeah. I, I've got a listener named Adam who just recorded something about anger and he sent it to me. So we're going to be, we're going to be talking about anger coming up here, me and Adam. And... Oh, that's good. I would, I would love to hear that one. Cause yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, maybe I'll bring you on for it if you, if you want, if you want to, um, oh, I, I haven't scheduled the date with him yet, but um, cause I like, I think he thinks that I'm anti anger. <laughs> I don't know. We'll, we'll have to have this kind of discussion because it's not like I, I think repressing or suppressing anger is a good thing. But I also think that when you express stuff, you're strengthening the neural pathways that are that are in there and that it can get it can you can have groups of people that are really validating, like, let's be angry together. And like that anger that we have towards this thing becomes our shared identity to the point where we don't want to let it go. We, we, we don't we don't want to move on from the anger and let it do what it you know, like anger is this really empowering emotion if we're depressed and lethargic and not doing anything, but then we get angry and we're moved to action. Great. But then to kind of neutralize that and transmute it into something that's a a higher emotion than anger, but it's still like defending yourself. It's still, um, you know, I don't, yeah. So, so I've been thinking about this a lot lately. I don't know exactly how to articulate it or where to fall on it, but. Well, this that brings yeah. up a really interesting point. As both of you were just talking, I was thinking, okay, well, if the ego was created to keep us in this game to have these hard emotions, should we be trying to push it away as much as we all do, as, as much as we try and move into the heart space? Maybe the point of this game isn't to necessarily be in the heart space, but to experience these big ego emotions. Like, where is the balance? At what point are we supposed to feel angry and depressed and, and all of these big, heavy things? And at what point are we supposed to actually drop into our heart center as Wendy talks about and experience a different perspective? Because it's kind of the point of being here, right? Yeah. I, and I, I think the point of being here is to resolve that, you know, like those, those feelings and emotions that are just a natural part of our existence. But, but to be able to feel the anger, like you talked about, Mike, without judging it, without judging it as like, oh, I'm being bad. This is contention. It's of the devil. This is a horrible thing right now. And because it's bad, then I need to hide it or suppress it or like bury it. No, I'm, go- I'm going to let it flow through me. I'm going to surf it like a wave until it, you know, yes. runs out on its own accord and, um, and, and drop 
the judgment of it and, and learn to love even those experiences yeah. of, of anger and hatred and pride and grief and fear and all of that stuff. Well, one of the things my therapist said is she says, um, and I think this comes from, I forgot where it came from, but um, joyfully participating in the sorrows of life. Mm. So you can experience pain, pleasure. We talked about grief, loss, hurt as if you're looking at it as, as an experience, you know, I had a moment as I was listening to what you had sent Glenn and, and listening to the recording today. Um, I had this thought that like, was I better off if, if this is really what this is, this existence, Yeah. was I better off when I didn't know that when I, when I, when I uh, was fully caught up in the illusion and believed the illusion was everything. Or am I better off now seeing that, oh, this is this game that we're playing and to experience, to grow, to expand. And my wife made a good point when I talked to her about it. Cause I was like, look, I, you know, is it better to just be wrapped up in it and not know? And she said, well, one of the benefits of knowing and seeing it for what it is, is now you can fully feel it. You know, it's okay. You just said that Glenn, you're, it's yeah. okay to surf the waves. The waves are just emotions. This is something, this, this life, it's a cycle. You know, if you think of the tarot and the will of fortune and, it, and you, you keep going through the cycles and everything's a cycle. But when you know that you're okay to, when you're, when you're really angry, you're okay to feel anger. And you can be angry at things you love, you know, if it's with your spouse or your kids, it's okay to love something and be super angry at them at the same time. And really feel that emotion. And then when it's pleasure, really feel pleasure, you know? And so you're here and you can surf that, the waves of that duality, the light and the dark and, and both of it, but you, because you're aware of it, you're not a victim to it and you can fully participate in that. Yeah. I think that's it of not be, not becoming a victim to it where it kind of takes over. Um, You, you were describing an experience earlier, Mike, that um, reminded me, I wasn't on mushrooms, <laughs> but th this happened the other night um, when, when I recognized, and I don't remember exactly what your story was, but you recognized a thought that you had and you recognized yeah. that, oh, this is one of my programs that I'm experiencing this right now. Yeah. At the time it was the thought of like trying to attach meaning to it because we'd okay. started the podcast and I'm like, how am I going to explain this to people? What am I going to do? What am I going to yeah. that? And I'm like, just chill for a minute. And that, that cycle kept looping, looping, looping. No, I yeah. got to figure this out. I got to figure this out. But yeah. Yeah. So, so my partner, Cammy came to me the other day and she said, you know, there, there's this book that I got a couple of years ago where it, it like walked us through how to do some really um, practical gratitude exercises. She's like, I'd, I'd like to start doing, you know, cause, cause we, we do meditation together in the morning. So like, I'd, I'd like to do some, um, some gratitude exercises. Are you open to that? I'm like, Oh yeah, yeah, totally. Let's do it. She's like, if I can't find the book, I'm going to go buy it again. But she found it and she had it upstairs here in the bookshelf and she pulled it out. It's called the magic. And I didn't really think anything about it. The, we did the first day, which is like, write down 10 things that you're grateful for and read them to each mm -hmm. other. And okay. Then we're, the, we're reading for the second day and it's get, get us, get a magical stone. And I, I went, wait, magic stone and since the people who have worked with magic stones you know they find increased wealth in their life and increased harmony i'm like oh wait and i look at the cover of the book and it's got like that little s thing from the secret like that oh, emboss yeah. wax thing and i'm Brand. like yeah. is 
is this from the same author that wrote the secret? And she's like, yeah. And I went, Oh fuck shit. Am I one of those people now? (laughs) No, like I believe in like magic rocks. And and (gasps) so I'm like, so Cammy, are we actually going to do this? Like I need to go and get a rock. That's like become my magic rock. Like what, am I going to put a peep stone in a hat and interpret, you know, stuff too. (laughs) (laughs) And by the way, I think that Cammy would be a little upset with me if I didn't share her response when I said that to her. What she said to me was, come on, Glenn, you're, you're listening to this woman, Wendy Kennedy, channel Ninth Dimensional Pleiadians every day, and you're having a problem with a gratitude rock? So anyway, she kind of put me in my place there. She's awesome that way. I love that about her. Back to the story. <laughs> and I was just getting so like caught up in my own judgment about this thing. And I, and I recognized I was doing it. I'm like, okay, so you want to do this? We're going to do this. All right. I am just going to be totally open to it. And I came upstairs and I've got like, I, I collect gems and different polished rocks and stuff. And I, I like them. So I, I found one that I really liked. I went downstairs like, okay, this will be my rock. And I kept reading the chapter and it, I was still really, really struggling with it. But I recognized it was my own filter of judging this thing as stupid because I kept thinking, oh, there's stupid people out there that think this rock is going to make them rich. And I don't want to be like that. But then I realized what it was actually saying. It was saying at the end of every day, look at this rock and think about all the good things that happened to you during the day and pick out the best one. And then look at this rock, focus on it and, and say, thank you for the best thing. And by doing this, what you're doing is you're focusing your attention on good things that happen during the day, which is probably something that you wouldn't normally be doing anyway. And of those good things, you're picking out the best one and do this, repeat this practice for 27 days. It's going to create a habit in your mind, focusing on gratitude and I'm like, okay, I've been reading this book, Inner Size, that's all about your neural pathways and how to change your neural pathways. This is exactly the same thing. Yeah. It's just using this kind of Dumbo's black feather, which I have a chapter on in Bathing with God. And I'm still yeah. stuck in this judgment about this thing. It was this really cool experience where I was able to recognize my own bias and my own judgment that was blocking me from seeing something that could be really beneficial for me. And you know, so we've done it the last couple of days. I, you know, I feel a shift of like being a more thankful person, looking at things in the world that way. Um, and, and so that's, that's kind of goes to your question, Mike, am I better off being awake to my own neural pathways and the control that I have over where I'm going to focus my attention, you know, cause I could continue to yeah. be a real cynical asshole. And like judge people for being, you know, stupid because I think they're stupid. And then I'll have that existence and I'll, in the way that Wendy talks about it, I'll be vibrating at that level or that vibrational experience kind of thing where the feeling that I feel as a result of thinking those things is judgment and criticism and just not great, not great, but I don't want to be that way. And, I, and so I'm recognizing that I'm seeing that in myself and the, the, the power that I have to change that. And not that I'm going to repress it. <laughs> I'll, yeah. I'll, I recognized it. I acknowledged it. I thanked it for teaching me a lesson. I told my rock, thank you, rock. <laughs> and, you know, I put it next to my bed. Anyway, that's my story. No, I, I think love about it. my gratitude think, rock story. I think um, 
it's also a great parallel that just popped into my head that it's basically like prayer Mm. where you go through the day and you say thank you for things you're grateful for, except you're praying to a being instead of a rock. Mm. (laughs) Um, Which is, I mean, it's just a way, a a thing to focus your attention on. It's just a MacGuffin. It's a tool. Mm, Yeah. And going back to um, knowing versus not knowing another thing that I have heard in the past is that it's the star seeds. They're the ones that are kind of waking up first and they're the ones that are getting the cheat codes of the universe and spreading the word to help other people understand. So I think we might all be star seeds guys. Is that what it, we're all star seeds. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Do, do we all channel? What well, is Wendy said that everyone does every day. And I think it's true to an extent, whether we realize it or not. You know, I laugh because people think that channeling is just something that a few people do, but everybody does it. And to me, it's, it's like being an interpreter. I recognize frequency and I translate it into a recognizable form, whether, you know, that's writing or whether it's speaking. But I think any form of creative expression can be a form of channeling. Any form of creative expression can be a form of channeling. Any form of creative expression can be a form of channeling. Let's talk about channeling just as an aside here. So what happens when you channel? You open up your energetic field, you start operating through the heart center, all right? You're working through the operating system that doesn't have distortions. Our energy comes down and you interpret the frequency and you translate it and then you express it. This evening, Wendy's expressing it through work. But it could very well be done through painting, drawing, singing, dancing, acting, any creative endeavor, creating pottery, doesn't matter. It's an expression of that vibration into physical reality. I mean, there's been so many times where I'll hear something like, take your purse. And I'm like, I don't need my purse. What am I going to buy on my walk to the corner? Take your purse, take your purse. And then I get there and I'm like, I need my purse. (laughs) (laughs) Stupid things where I think our guides or um, other beings from other serious things are actually tuning in and trying to help guide us if we would just listen. Yeah. Well, well, and well, one, Glenn, I've heard you channel. You definitely channel. (laughs) You think so? You think I channel? For sure. Yes. The recording you said earlier, you're you're channeling something. Oh, the Bathing with God episode? Yeah. Well, uh, and your whole book, Bathing with God, I feel like is channeled. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. Well, see, and, and this is, you know, like when, when I discovered Wendy's stuff, I'm so impressed with her because I love playing in this playground and this the sandbox of like, let's, let's stretch the limits of our imagination and what's plausible and ask those kinds of questions. And she does that with such, I mean, she's been doing it for 25 years. So she's, she's really, really good at it. And has stretched things way like I feel like such an amateur with the you know bathing with God. But the thing that's still kind of I I have a little bit of hesitation about with her is she she pre, like like I choose with bathing with God to present this as hey this is my imagination. If you mm-hmm. want to think I'm channeling it, cool. Like I know I'm sitting in a bathtub writing it on my phone. And is that channeling? Maybe. Is that what automatic writing is? Maybe. I know if, if I sit with my guitar and I'm playing, you know, like there's times where I feel like I'm in the flow. Is that channeling? You know, like, okay, yeah. maybe. I, is channeling just when we're really happy about whatever it is that we're doing and we're loving it? That's kind of what she said. Okay. But does that mean that 
I know the truth and that people should believe what I'm saying as the truth. Like that's, that's where I get really concerned about this kind of stuff. Like, let's take it all with a grain of salt because we don't need more Joseph Smiths in the world. Yes. <laughs> you know, we need, yeah. let's, let's be, let's be humble <laughs> about these things that we're, we think that we're seeing and that are meaningful to us and recognize everybody's having a different kind of experience and what's meaningful to one's not going to be meaningful to, to other people. And so I get a little like, mm -hmm. not quite sure with Wendy, how to take is is she giving like little wink wink things that she's saying yeah everybody's channeling in fact i'm kind of doing it right now i'm kind of acting i'm kind of playing a role mm -hmm. like i'm telling you a story that is all about how to focus your intention like this gratitude rock like wendy's the gratitude rock and she's telling <laughs> you how to drop judgment and how to live a life that's focused on love and recognize that you're part of this planet, you're part of this universe. It's a lot bigger than anything you could really understand, even if you tried. And so let's, let's try, let's play. And what could be, uh, you know, is, is this a game that she's playing or does she really totally believe it and want other people to believe it too? Like, that's something I still don't totally know about her, but I, I still, yeah, I, well, like I'm so well, hooked on her right now. <laughs> Just devour every I'm, single time and listen to stuff. <laughs> I'm glad you're showing some. I mean, because I think there is an element, especially coming from Mormonism, where yeah, it's like we don't want to be fooled again. We don't want to buy yeah. it, you know. And I think there's an element of yeah, learn, take, take, but take it with a grain of salt, you know, yeah. because um, and what resonates with you and what doesn't. Um, yeah. and I think there is an element of, and I'm glad she brought this up in the interview too. She talked about history and she talked about mm -hmm. she talked about the source level yeah everything's recorded yeah but even there that source level everything's recorded but history is all about perspective too yeah. and experience is all about perspective yeah um so and, and i don't did i share this on when the one we recorded with you glenn there is an element of active imagination did, did we talk about that I don't, let's talk about it again let's talk about it again i just didn't want to repeat it but um so I know I've shared on the podcast before, but I didn't know if it was with yours. But one of the one of the practices um, that uh, Carl Jung and James Hillman and some of the I guess Jungian analysts have talked about in exploring your subconscious is through active imagination. Come with me, and you'll be in a world of pure imagination, where you kind of get into a meditative state, close your eyes. And just kind of go on a journey and they recommend writing it out so you you have it and it kind of slows down your thoughts um and and just explore and he was talking about he was working with a with the with a patient who was bringing in every every week he'd bring in a story that he'd written from when he was doing this active imagination and at the end he was the very last the last appointment um he said you know what? I, I got you. This was all coming from my subconscious. I, I, I was making this all up. I really wasn't doing active imagination. Snowsberries. Who ever heard of a snowsberry? And James Hillman, I think he was, or I forgot who was, wrote the book, who um, he kind of gives him this look. We are the music makers and we are the dreamers of dreams. And the man immediately started crying. Basically it was like, even though he was, he, it was still coming from his imagination. Yeah. So it was still coming from his subconscious. Sure. And actually the story he was creating was reflecting him trying to fool the therapist and all it, it revealed all this stuff about his subconscious. Yeah. 
but he wasn't closing his eyes and doing it. And he was, he was making it up, but yeah, it, came it, was, from still, somewhere. it yeah. was still coming from him yeah. <laughs> from source, you know? Well, and, and that's another thing I really love about Wendy when she talks about the, the way, and, and it was in a different interview than this one that you guys listened to today, but how we're all reflecting ourselves off of other people. Like anything, anything that we think another person is doing or anything that like comes into our, I think she did talk about this one. Like if you're walking down the street and you see an argument, then that, that argument is something that you're kind of attuned to you, like, you're kind of part of it. Uh, like, because if it wasn't something that would resonate with you, you wouldn't even, it wouldn't even register on your radar. You would just totally filter it out. So as you are walking down the street, the young woman may be flailing her arms and screaming at the gentleman. And you're thinking, oh, it doesn't feel particularly safe to walk, walk past them. I'm not, I, I don't, I don't trust that, you know, she's not going to lash out and I'm going to get caught in the middle of it. That may be the thought that runs through your head. Now there may be somebody else who's walking along. And as they're walking along, they observe the fight and they have a memory of a previous relationship that they had was very similar. Oh, I know that argument. Why do women always go to that place? <laughs> that may be the thought that he's having. And so he can use that as a reflection for something that happened in his past that he hasn't integrated, that he hasn't dealt with his own trust issues. All right, we hope this makes sense to you, that absolutely everything that goes on in your reality, even if it's on the fringe, there is some sort of reflection there for you to gain. And as you start to clear out those judgments, those past hurts, those lower beliefs that you're holding on to, you can allow more of this miraculous divine energy to flow through. So we're, we're basically walking around projecting our own subconscious expectations and beliefs about ourselves and about the world onto other people. And, and that's another part of being quote unquote asleep that we don't we think that other people are the problem when really it's what we think about ourselves that we're putting onto somebody else. Uh, that's, that's very young Ian. Um, yeah. Yeah. And yeah, I, I, I love the way that she deals with that in there. Mm-hmm. But, but there was another element that when you were talking, Mike, about, um, and I forget, I forget what you said, but it made me think about her, the way she talks about how time works and that there's, there's infinite alternate realities moment to moment Mm -hmm. that there's different versions of you that like any, it's like a choose your own adventure book that from any moment you could go into one of these alternate realities. And in fact, we do that all the time, but we don't even recognize that we're doing it. And so like, there's a version of the world where you guys never did ayahuasca and never did the Mormons on mushrooms podcast never left mormonism never left mormonism you know (laughs) we're never born we're born as an opposite gender you know like or or whatever there's all these different uh versions of reality out there and man i've heard uh brian green the physicist talk about that in the nova series you know when he's talking about quantum energy and what this tells us about the potential nature of reality you know so there's things that she's saying that seem plausible if we understand really what this fundamental energy is that we're made out of and the way that she applies that i just found it so fascinating so did that jump out to either of you do you guys have any yeah comments on that that, i've heard that a few times about the multiple timelines especially from 
the woman I talked about who channels the Akashic, she's always saying, do meditations and ask to be put on your highest timeline, the timeline of the highest for your highest good, because at any given moment, we could jump onto any of them. And you see it in the media. I mean, even in Marvel, you see um, <laughs> like Dr. What is it? Dr. Strange. Dr. Strange. Yeah. yeah. And like jumping onto different timelines. How about the OA? Have you yeah. guys seen the OA? Yeah. Yes. And that's all it is, is about her jumping onto timelines in which a different choice was made and it changed the trajectory of her life. Yeah. But there was that weird dance at the end. Like It is super weird, but it's also (laughs) like kind of on point, like that whole series (laughs) about like jumping to different timelines um, and aligning yourself with those timelines. And that's another thing that I've learned through meditation. We talked about manifesting part of it is aligning yourself to the frequency at which you want to attract. And Wendy talked about that too. And she said, if you align yourself to a lower frequency, the waves are slower. And so it takes longer to manifest so that you can change it and, and put yourself on a higher frequency and resonate and attract the higher frequency things in your life. I'm glad you brought that up because that, that used to be one of those things that my critical mind would really like roll its eyes at too, like, okay, and you li- <laughs> aligning with your vibration to match the vibrational experience or like whatever that is. But I, I, I was listening to Abraham Hicks talk about this may- maybe two years ago and it kind of hit me, oh, they're describing confirmation bias, but, but they're talking about it from the perspective of energy and vibration, you know, thought and emotion as being these vibrations. But it's basically confirmation bias, where if I think that, the, that everybody's a crook, when I walk around, I'm going to look at people as if they're crooks. And I'm going to attract, <laughs> if you use that word, I'm, I'm going to be filtering reality in a way that I see crooks, because that's what my mind is telling me. And confirmation bias says my... Um, my assumptions about the world, my beliefs about the world, I'm going to manufacture evidence that supports that. And I'm going to turn a blind eye to things that would contradict it. Like, what is that? If not, a, you know, like attracts like of, you know, the, the secret and that whole vibrational mm-hmm. thing. So it, it made me go, okay, all right. I, I can, I can drop my judgment on that a little bit and lean into the confirmation bias part of it and recognize, okay, if I'm, if I'm, putting my mind as I'm going to be critical of everything, then I'm going to always see things. I'm always going to be a little insecure because I'm always going to think that people are being critical of me. And, you know, it just has this kind of double-edged sword kind of thing. So I can change that vibration and attract something different. (laughs) It's still, still weird (laughs) when I hear that come out of my mouth. (laughs) Uh, Well, Uh, I was really interested. I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, go ahead. Okay. I was just really interested to hear you guys' take on the first vision as if it were an actual alien visitation or, yeah, yeah, because um, I think we had mentioned that like, okay, what, what would be the possibility of Joseph Smith actually just seeing an entity and, and channeling the Book of Mormon? Was it channeled? Was it just plagiarized? what were his intentions? Maybe he was actually tapping into some truth. Like he did talk about the levels of heaven. And I think that's similar to the dimensions or he talks about Kolob. Like maybe that's a real place. I don't know. (laughs) Was it on this one where Wendy was talking about how, Oh no, it's, it's, it's other ones where she does like this meditation and she's talking about the main star of the 
Pleiades that the Pleiadians oh. are aligned with, but they're connected to our star and our solar system and that the stars like communicate and one governs another one. And when I was hearing her say that, I'm like, Kolob, you know, that's like, <laughs> that's only what Joseph Smith talked about and like the governing systems of the different stars or whatever. And I saw the stars that they were very great and that one of them was nearest unto the throne of God. And there were many great ones which were near unto it. And the Lord said unto me, These are the governing ones. And the name of the great one is Kolob. I have set this one to govern all those which belong to the same order as that upon which thou standest. That one revolution was a day unto the Lord after his manner of reckoning, it being one thousand years according to the time appointed unto that whereon thou standest. This is the reckoning of the Lord's time, according to the reckoning of Kolob. Yeah, so so Mike, would you want to take the first stab at, Ch- at mean... Chalice's? I struggle with this a little bit on my end just because, well, I have these moments, right? Where I'm like, and we've talked about plenty of them here on the podcast where it's like, wow, that just feels like Mormonism or, uh, you know, I mean, I had one of my first times doing mushrooms. It's probably, I think it was actually my second time. So I'd done them once, um, at a reggae festival towards the end. And then I didn't do them for a whole other year at that same reggae, reggae festival up at, at reggae rise up Utah. And I forgot what I was feeling at the time, but it was just like the feeling of being here for experience and to learn. And um, I'm like, whoa, that just feels like Mormonism. And then I had this whole thing like, whoa, what if Mormonism was right all along kind of thing, you know, or <laughs> um, I don't know. But then it's, it's like, it's just one, you know, if you're like, you look at how it dug very deep though, you know, it, it, it took it a, a little bit further and there's elements of what we're talking about, but then it gets all twisted up in shame and polygamy and everything else. And so I struggle with it, but what, <laughs> what, yeah, I just wonder if it, if it started off pure and like mm. a cool experience and then it got distorted because of his ego and his selfishness. Yeah. I mean, Sure. But like, I guess when it started out, what I mean, when you're saying it started out pure, I think there could be have been a pure intention to it, obviously. Right. Um, and, and I guess it is a little more expansive or, I don't know. What were you going to ask about that, Glenn, that you, I'm, I'm at a loss for words. <laughs> no, what I was going to ask you is you, you were, you were saying that it gets kind of tied up in the polygamy and all that stuff. And, mm-hmm. and, and so I was just like, like, what gets tied up in it? Like, what, what is that experience? What is it that you feel like Shelley's kind of yeah. mentioned it. Well, she's talking about the pure parts. What would the pure parts be that then would make it hard for you to swallow because of all of the other unpure parts? Well, I'm even thinking about what the pure parts, I mean, I, I guess there's, an element of you were, we were even talking about Kolob and um, you know, a lot of that comes in the Pearl of Great Price, right. In the book of Abraham and but the book of Abraham too, is just very confusing. And we can throw that out the window, right? <laughs> right. Well, I mean, that was channeled right into though. Any form of creative expression can be a form of channeling. Any form of creative expression. It was channeled writing, you know, um, and maybe I'd have to go back and read it through, through, through this lens and see if any nuggets yeah. come out. But I remember the last time I read the book of Abraham. It wasn't the uh, direct translation. We know that. Right. That's right. <laughs> <Something else. Yeah. laughs> but then maybe it, it, isn't there the whole, uh, 
theory that he just had the papyri and the papyri inspired him to write it, which, you know, I guess that would be the channeling, right? Mm. Um, I guess where I struggle with it is, is Mormon Mormon theology really even that like expansive? Or by by those standards in in those days, it certainly was. I guess. And I even, guess. That's and even if point. you go back, I mean, yeah. Like I I remember, I I I grew up in the seventies and eighties, and I remember talking with Christian friends of mine who didn't have a concept of like a pre-existence or eternal progression mm-hmm. that we're going to become like God. You know, it was like when you die, you're up with the angels playing harps in the clouds kind of thing. And like, I'm, Oh, you're stupid. That's dumb. No, we're, we're, we're deity and embryo. And this is all part of an eternal progression that we're on. Like that's pretty, yeah. pretty radical for Christianity. And, and there are certain fundamentalists, uh, offshoots of Mormonism that teach multiple mortal probations, which is the Mormon term for reincarnation. So there's a, there's a strong possibility that Joseph Smith was talking about reincarnation, at least to some people. Um, so, so one of the things that I, I sent you guys, I, I sent you a couple of clips from this reading that was done. Like I've gotten a friend, a friend like yours, Shalise, who does Akashic record, you know, past life kind of stuff. Should I talk about this? Do you guys want me to talk about this? Yeah, I think you should. You know, I mean, it's her reading, right? Of you. And I think you should, because I think it'd be cool to talk about. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. So there's, so there's two, there's two things in there to talk about. And one directly goes to Shalise's question. Um, You know, if, if Joseph Smith with the first vision or whatever experienced uh, an, an ET, instead of the angel Moroni or something like that. And so this, this woman, Christy, told me that. She said that, that, that what she, when she went into the record, the Akashic record, to ask about Joseph Smith, um, because I had asked her about Joseph Smith, she uh, got this impression that he had been visited by one of these aliens. <laughs> All right, so Joseph Smith had an experience in the woods in New York. Yeah. And what I believe happened with Joseph Smith is that the the images that I got when I opened the record was that he actually had an experience with an extraterrestrial. And I believe that it was the Asani people that told him about the hybrid races. And this is where he got obsessed with the genealogy of it all and the genetics of it all. Rewrote the scripture around what he was told but you gotta remember that Joseph Smith is also human. And we get really seduced by the power, you know, when we get power. And I believe that he started to become a little narcissistic and become seduced by his own power. And, you know, like I I had this reading back in September, 2020, long before I came across Wendy and any of what she was talking about. So I, I'm curious to try to like compare and see if there's similarities between what Christy said and what, mm-hmm. what Wendy said. I haven't quite gotten there yet, but, but Christy said it was like one of the Asani. Was that the, do you remember what she said? I think that sounds right. Like I, the Asani or Assyrian. I haven't heard of Asani before. Yeah. Uh, I was yeah. driving. I was going to write it down, but I forgot. Cause I wanted yeah. to look them back up after, but I forgot. But, but that, 
and and that during this exchange they talked about uh, genealogy and the the lineages and Wendy does talk about certain ET groups that are really obsessed with genealogy and bloodlines and things like that and and so what Christy said was that Joseph Smith got obsessed with genealogy because what the extraterrestrial had talked with them about um, <laughs> with like the hybrid children program and uh, harvesting souls at the end, you know, like, cause part, part of the story of, of Wendy and, and Christy as well. I think this is a larger narrative that I'm just becoming aware of kind of like the latter days that in, instead of the millennium, but that the earth is going to transform and that it's going from a three-dimensional reality to a five-dimensional reality. And I thought about the millennium some, about that too. Some, age of some people, yeah. Some, yeah. The age of Aquarius and yeah. it's a shifting of dimensions and with the climate change heating up and, you know, the internet and, you know, all, all these things where we're connecting at different energetic levels that there's kids that are being born in with ADHD and autism that are kind of, tuning their frequencies to like a four dimensional or a five dimensional reality rather than mm -hmm. a three dimensional reality. And so that's why they see that there's multiple focal points instead of just one. And it seems, you know, different for us just to prepare for the harvest because the field is white and ready to harvest, yes. right? but they call it the harvest too of souls that are going through this 26,000 year period of ascension to get to this place where they can move and and one of, this is in one of the other recordings from wendy where she said that that part of the grand experiment of the planet earth is that never before in the galaxy had a, a civilization like a group of people ascended along with the planet like there had been a couple mm -hmm. of attempts to do it but they hadn't done it together and that that's part of the experience here and that there are multiple timelines. And of course there's some that it hasn't worked and there's some that it has worked. And like, we're in one where it is working and we're all kind of contributing to that in this kind of sense. And so like, I take that and think, is it possible that Joseph Smith got some kind of message like that and had the church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints with the millennium, we're going to be raised up and join Zion and their, you know, rapture kind of stuff. Or is this just part of an older tradition that is being reinterpreted with new lenses, you know, in, in today's day and age where we have these problems with climate change and all this other stuff that people are looking at. I don't know, but um, yeah. So I, I think it's yeah. I think it's it's interesting to think of Joseph Smith as having um, been visited by an extra. Well, I mean, and maybe even that the Nephite and Lamanite cultures were an alternate reality. Ooh. Yeah, you know, so the alternate an yeah. al an alternate version of Earth. You know, so you're not going to go and find. <laughs> geographical evidence. evidence or dna of them <laughs> in this timeline <laughs> but there yeah. could be Maybe another the timeline one. we all shift to we're going to find it <laughs> we're still learning we're, we're still learning <laughs> from them can you imagine if we shifted to a timeline and all of a sudden there was evidence of mormonism <laughs> yeah right <laughs> Stop. but i I'm, i am glad you brought I that up i think we have relatives in that timeline probably <laughs> we probably do right yeah <laughs> I'm glad you brought up how expansive 
because I, I remember loving, you know, in Mormonism, the whole concept of eternal progression. Yeah. And it was something that was really hard for me to let go of, I guess, when I left, but that I'm getting back to that now. And so I do think there was an element that I'm still, I'm judging, you know, 1820 Joseph Smith back from the lens, the lens of now, right? When yeah. you think of the circumstances in, in his environment and also just how transformative the religion has been in a way. I mean, it's, I, I know a lot of ex-Mormons might not want to hear that, but it's, it's, it's definitely impacted the world in yeah. different ways. And, um, and it wasn't an, an expansive, I mean, it expanded my view at a young age, you know, and, and I, I think it taught me that to dream big, you know, I mean, he dreamed big. Uh, and so I think it's good to kind of remember that, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I just wonder like, what if he actually, okay, we know the first vision is all over the place. There's like seven accounts of it yeah. four from him and like a few from others who he told apparently. So what if he actually did see an ET, but didn't know what to make of it. He knew people would think he was crazy, but he had a message. And so he had to shift the narrative to fit in with Christian culture yeah. and then <clears throat> came back with all these wild ideas, but then maybe his channeling stopped. Like maybe his ability to connect kind of went away and he freaked out and just made up a bunch of stuff. <laughs> I don't know. There's so many different ways we could go with this. And then Brigham Young took over and yeah. 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 And we know it went a little wild from there. Yeah. Well, let me try one thing here. What if, cause we were talking about star seeds and Pleiadians mm -hmm. and how, you know, the church did a lot of like recruiting at the, you know, in like the Scandinavian region, you mm -hmm. know, and I, yeah. I feel like I the Pleiadians we... are very Nordic, you know, Scandinavian. Yeah. What if the religion was all preparation for this harvesting we're talking about for usher in the millennium, the age of Aquarius and it was a gathering of Pleiadian or maybe other starseed energy to gather in a geographical region together to then wake up collectively and be a big part of that awakening. <laughs> yeah. So, so in other words, you're asking if maybe there was a, a, a series of soul contracts and a soul group that all said, we're going to connect with each other through this Mormon uh, theme. We're going to do yeah. this gathering. Of, we're going to play this gathering of Israel game. And this is going to be the way that we play the Ascension game during this period of time on the history of the earth. And, and again, what is the Ascension game? The, the Ascension game is we're going to try to wake up to who we are. We're, we're divine beings. We, we are children of God. And the, the, the greatest values is to drop judgment and to, to recognize we all have this divine connection. We can all go inside to, to connect with it. And it's all about forgiveness and love. And that's what the atonement represents anyway. And so, you know, you can use that as a symbol because that would be easy for people to swallow back then anyway. But it is playing that ascension game until it turned into a power game. <laughs> and, then it, and then it went from an ascension game to a descension game uh -huh. until we come around. <laughs> Yeah. Right. And um, so there, there's another piece of that, that Christie yeah. thing that I shared with you guys that I was really hesitant, at, but I'm dying to talk about. I really am I dying to talk, talk about, about it because it. I think it ties in so well here. Yeah. I love it. So, <laughs> so 
I, I want to hear you guys talk about it. I'm giving you permission to talk about it and tell me what you think about it because like it's 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 it was it's weird. It's weird. Okay, but I think that you should you should be the one to lay the groundwork and tell the audience what we heard. Just okay. a little bit. Do you want so, me to pave the way as like John the Baptist or you, you, you wanna... <laughs> <laughs> or Oliver Cowdery? Um, yeah, Oliver Cowdery. <laughs> yeah, so so she told me that uh Joseph Smith and I share an oversoul. I need you to understand the concept of the oversoul, all right? Meaning you're not really these other people. Yeah. Now, I, I know I need to tie back in all the stuff with the Asasani and the hybrid children program, but can you see where I'm going with this with Joseph Smith and the genealogy and all of this? I, I don't see where you're going with it, but I'm fascinated with the journey. Okay. <laughs> and yes, your record is kinetic, con connecting to the Joseph Smith record. Yeah. Okay. I, I, I think I went on a tangent and it didn't tie that up. But you got the oversoul and your oversoul connects to all of these different records. And those records are informing your record. So as you make decisions in your current lifetime, it's also updating the record of that person. Mm. So Joseph Smith is a character that is directly affecting your life and you're directly affecting his life. Okay. So if you want to call him one of your past life characters, that would be correct. You belong to the same oversoul. Okay. All right. So she was quite clear in saying, you know, I, I want to make it clear. You were not Joseph Smith, but the oversoul that is doing all of these different incarnated lives, um, is doing you and was also doing Joseph Smith. And she also talked about other lives. Like she said, so if, if you want to consider Joseph Smith as being a past life, that would be correct. And I went, Oh, <laughs> you're like, fuck. <laughs> okay. But it makes so much sense if you think about it, because hmm. if you were Joseph Smith in a past life or part of your soul was connected to him in a past life, Going back to what Wendy was saying, it makes complete sense that in this life, you would want to experience the opposite and like really dive into Mormonism and kind of pick your own history apart and be like, wait, I want to see the other side of this too. I mean, the duality makes sense. Okay. So I can, I can tell you, you know, like the reason she told me that is because I asked her, you know, like, so it's not like she's just throwing a, a dart you know, but like, cause right. I've, I've felt a connection to Joseph, like my entire life mm -hmm. I did. And yeah. like, when I would listen to the Truman J Madsen, Joseph Smith tapes, and it would say, yeah, Joseph Smith was like six foot two. And at one point, 240 pounds. I'm like, I'm six foot two. I've been 240 pounds. You know, I, I wasn't <laughs> at the time, <laughs> 240 yeah. pounds, but uh, you know, like on, and on my mission in Japan, I remember in my first area, we were, we went on a hike on a P day and we were, we were up in these Hills that were kind of like overlooking this, this town. And I was thinking there's gotta be some like buried golden plates of Japan somewhere here. Oh that maybe, maybe I could find, and, you know, because in the, in the MTC, I was so turned on with this idea of the Japanese being the lost tribes of Israel. We talked about it all the time. And I, I wrote my master's thesis uh, oh, when wow. I was in folklore about the Japanese being the lost tribes of Israel. And I just thought, like, I could be the Joseph Smith for this other record of the lost tribes that's supposed to come forward. 
And when that, you know, so like, I've always felt this kind of like Joseph Smith type thing, which is why I asked her in the first place. And then she comes back and says, yeah, you are. So I, you know, like, I don't know if that's anything or not. And well, I certainly don't, I mean, it's, it terrifies me to talk about it publicly because I don't want people to think, oh yeah, Glenn Awesome thinks that he's, you know, Joseph Smith. <laughs> Get that out. Yeah. But I, I guess describe a little bit what an over, so is it called an oversoul? Yeah, because yeah, th that was a new concept to me because I've heard of soul groups and your higher self soul groups over yeah. soul, right? Is that the kind of the order of? Like well, maybe I'll insert here Christie's explanation of an oversoul because I I've, I've used that a couple of times um, before, but but basically, she described it as like a computer. She's so like you think about a computer that's running a bunch of programs, and each program is a human life or or an incarnation. All right, now you are a human being, but basically you are a spirit or light being here having a human experience. And what we consider the spirit part of you to be is the soul. And the soul is what we would consider to be the immortal part of who you are. Now, you have such a thing called an oversoul. Think of the oversoul like a computer. And it's a computer that has unlimited storage space. And on this computer, you are running many software programs that we call human beings. that are all connected to the same oversoul. We have a portion of us that is constant and immortal, and it's out there, but like God, it's forever growing, learning, and expanding. And it's learning and expanding by having different experiences. And those different experiences are being had by you. Now, there are different versions or humans that are connected to that same oversoul all at the same time. And what we call these different versions is past lives. Or future lives. However, you are you You've always been you, and you've never been anybody else. You've always been in that body that you are in. But there is a portion of you in spirit that is populating a record that we call the Akashic Record. I mean, you're populating that, all right? That is the database. And there are different versions of you out there that are also populating this database. Now, when you come to planet Earth, you are connected to the Earth via your heart. There's an electromagnetic field generated by the human heart 
that connects into the electromagnetic field of the earth. That's how you're connected. The electromagnetic field of the earth is what we would consider to be a living record. Just like a computer, and you populate a database on that computer, the electromagnetic field around the earth is recording every thought that you have, every action that you take, everything. And everything that is matter down here, including the humans, the animals, and every object that has mass, has an electromagnetic field and has an Akashic record. What most humans don't understand is that the electromagnetic field around the earth governs the physics that happens down here. It governs all the science and it has to adhere to natural law and natural law never changes. Now humans don't have it all figured out. They only have perception in a very limited spectrum of the electromagnetic spectrum in the third dimension. Tiny minuscule amount. However, since our hearts are attached to that electromagnetic field, and that electromagnetic field encompasses all the dimensions of planet Earth that we can't see because our perception doesn't allow us to see it. Since our heart is connected to all that, we can actually expand our perceptions out past the visible spectrum in the third dimension. When I'm working with you, that's what I'm doing. I'm working in three different ways when I work with you. One, I tune into the Akashic Record and I ask specific questions about you. Sometimes I get very specific answers back, names, dates, places. Other times I only get the visions or I'll get a, I'll get um, a poem or a riddle, something that I got to figure out to help you. And I don't control what comes back, but I use this as a tool in my toolkit. Another way that I work is that I tune my perception into your heart. And what that allows me to do is step forward and raise my head above the third dimension and above the fourth dimension, which has the vector of time. The vector of time is what denotes your lifetimes. There's a thin veil that creates a container for each of those lifetimes. but the vector only flows in one direction. This is an illusion. When I put my head above the clouds, what I get is a carousel of TV screens 
that includes all those containers of the various use that are connecting to the akashic record that your over soul is reading and i call those your past lives now i need you to really understand though that those are actually other people and they're all having their lives at the same time you're having your life right now because time doesn't exist so what physics is going to prove here real soon and i'm that confident about it that i'm speaking about it on recording is that this is all happening at the same time and that the decisions that you're making in your lifetime now are all actually altering the lifetimes of those other people that are feeding into the database that you're populating the record that's why it's so important that i had the record open yesterday because as i'm telling you about those things and you were feeling it the emotion is bringing it up and out of the density of your body so we're healing that frequencies making adjustment and there's adjustment being made to your record now where does the astrology come in evolutionary astrology is predicated on the notion that you've lived an infinite number of lifetimes and that the natal chart which is a snapshot of the the planets at the moment of, of your birth tells every archetypal story that you have ever lived if you've educated yourself on this science you can peel back the layers of every lifetime but we as astrologers are evolving and learning how to do this and teaching each other the different nuances and intricacies of the science and and, and and the but the computer has the record of all of them. It's it's on on this hard drive, and the hard drive is infinite. You can have as many programs and as many lives on there, but it's all running from this one computer. And there's multiple computers that are running different things. So you and I might share an oversoul. Other people might share an oversoul, and it's doing all of this. But that was the question that I asked Wendy in the thing last Saturday, because I because mm -hmm. I like. In writing Bathing with God, I got really comfortable with the idea of source energy that then incarnates as people, but I don't understand the different levels and layers in between. And so I like I wanted to know, like, what would she say about this? And so the way that, that Wendy described it was, or the way that the peas described it through Wendy <laughs> was that there there's there's at the top level, there's source energy, divinity, and then a part of it sections itself off into these oversouls, which are like these groups that have some kind of awareness of themselves as being a collective um, that are separate from source energy, but they know that they're source energy. And then they break off into, I think she said, soul groups. And then soul groups have like an inner self. And then the inner self is, and I think this is still kind of like metaphysical stuff the, the inner self would then come down into 3d and have this incarnated experience with this personality or this this ego 
but the but that what we but that's all programming is what she said and that that's all these neural pathway programming we are our inner self or our higher self and that higher self is existing in multiple dimensions and infinite kind of thing but there's this kind of connection and and when yeah. when i've are either of you familiar with Seth Speaks? Chapter 1, I do not have a physical body, yet I am writing this book. You have heard of ghost hunters. I can quite literally be called a ghost writer. Though I do not approve of the term, ghost. It is true that I am usually not seen in physical terms. I do not like the word, spirit, either. And yet if your definition of that word implies the idea of a personality without a physical body, then I would have to agree that the description fits me. I address an unseen audience. However, I know that my readers exist, and therefore I shall ask each of them, now, to grant me the same privilege. Are either of you familiar with Seth Speaks? No. I freaking love Seth Speaks. Ooh, I'm going to love Gosh, him. I've been listening to Seth Speaks for now. years. Yeah. Um, <laughs> So, so Seth Speaks is another channeled writer. Um, um, what's her name? Jane Roberts in the late 60s, early 70s. So there, there's all of these books, the Seth materials. And that's one of the things that Wendy Kennedy stumbled across when she started, you know, like having these premonitions. She was having visions. She thought it was past life stuff. And so she went and discovered all this channeled material. And she talked about the Seth materials was part of it. Abraham Hicks was really inspired by the... Mm -hmm. The Seth materials. You can go on YouTube and type in Seth Speaks, and there's like a 10 hour audio that you can listen to. And at one point, it talks about soul groups and the, the diff. So I've always been interested in like what, what is this layered progression from a source energy to an incarnated being? And how would, you know, because the Mormon way was like just a one to one. You've got a spirit that's the yep. shape of, you know, your body and then like you put a glove over your hand and that's the body over the spirit and you know like we kind of joked at the beginning of this the pre-existence we're all human humans in the pre-existence instead of like amorphous <laughs> energy um you know or intelligence or whatever that might be or look like um so yeah so so that's that's the long-winded way of saying what an oversoul is well, so that would be something that joseph smith and i would share but it might be something that you guys share with Joseph Smith too, for all I know. Maybe, but what I was going to say, which is really cool, Glenn, is like, um, I don't know, just in, in hearing, you know, bathing with God. And when you shared earlier, your channeling. Yeah. I imagine like, look, if you just had an Oliver Cowdery there writing next to you, like <laughs> that's scripture there. <laughs> it was better scripture yeah. than you channeled before as Joseph Smith. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> Maybe, but the, but the thing, you know, like in, in looking at this story and playing with this story, the way that Christy presented it to me was that, that Joseph Smith really went into ego and became very narcissistic in what he did. And that part of my experience in this life is humiliation. And I asked her, I didn't include this clip in what I uh, sent to you guys, but I asked her specifically about bathing with God. And she's like, well, yeah, bathing with God is one of the ways that you're humiliating yourself you what? know so so what? rather than oh. well rather than going and 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 whether it's humiliation or it's humbling you mm -hmm. know uh, of of like you, you you know the story of moses hitting the the rock and the water coming out yeah and that was his big sin that's why he wasn't able to go into israel with the rest of the israelites because at one point he took credit for doing it instead of 
giving the credit to God. So the sin of hubris, mm -hmm. the sin of narcissism was, was what kept Moses out of Egypt. So it, it's, it's this idea that with me in my life, I don't want to go into ego. I don't want to go into mm -hmm. narcissism. And so I'll continue to have like little ego deaths, little humiliating experiences, things like that, that, that keep me from going into this place. Yeah. So but that I like, and that I can lean into because I certainly don't want to go ever into like my shit don't stink. And what I yeah. say is absolute truth and you better follow it or you're going to hell kind of thing. You know, I've got a, I've got a flaming sword and an angel here. That, you, know, <laughs> you, know, you got to do what I want, what I want you to do, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and, um, I bet, and maybe this is getting a little off topic, but I'm just thinking of that in the sense of, because, you know, I, I worry the same as far as like feeling pride and, you know, right now we, we talked about on the last episode, we, we released of the podcast, but the pot Mormons on mushrooms has grown bigger than I thought it would. Mm. And it's easy for me to get caught up in that. Right. Yeah. Right. But there's an element to, we were just talking about like integrating your shadow and the part that feels that part of me that feels so angry and I'm worried if I let him in, it's going to take over. Yeah. I think there's an element to feeling pride in our accomplishments that we don't do as Mormons. Mm -hmm. And so it becomes part of our shadow. And so then we do project it out. Yeah. But instead of we just embrace it and be like, yeah, I made a, I did a cool thing and created a cool podcast and a lot of yeah. people are resonating with it. And that's fucking awesome. Yeah. And embrace that and allow myself to feel it. Now I'm not projecting it out, you know? And Glenn, if you, you're like, yeah, this book, your book is fucking amazing. And, mm -hmm. and I feel like it's channeled in a beautiful way and it resonates. And so own it. And then, you know, and, but I think there's a fear, like if you do that, then it's like, oh, I'm caught up in my hubris, but it's like, no, I don't know. <laughs> well, I, I own it. I mean, in, yeah. in the way that like, I, I love doing it. You know, even if there's only a hundred people that follow it as a podcast and enjoy it on a regular basis, you know, like I, I, I love doing it. It's fun. It's yeah. fun to do. Uh, and I agree with you. I think that is one of the ways that Mormonism conditions us to not feel good about ourselves because President Benson said, beware of pride. Uh-huh. Yeah. You know what's funny? Mormonism is just a giant paradox because they preach, don't judge, but it's the judgiest religion. Yeah. They preach, love one another, but they continue to put restrictions on certain people and like racism and sexism and then they say don't be prideful yet we are the chosen ones and god chose us to spread the word it's like it doesn't make any sense yeah but if 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 you look at it from this perspective that wendy kennedy is suggesting and, and offering saying saying put on these glasses and try to look at the world through these glasses this is all part of an ascension game and so what what role did the mormon church play in you guys waking up well, they got me angry enough to yeah. look at other options. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. Thanks for yeah. doing that, Mormon Church. Uh, hey, thanks for being true. so douchey. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I think it's also cool that they got me to judge myself so much. Well, I say cool, but you know, it's a process that I'm working through. But then to now, how be, much you've, how much have you been enjoying this healing process? I've been loving the healing process. Yeah. You know. I mean, almost too much, you know, my therapist what? is like, it was like, much. <laughs> you don't have to, you don't have to keep digging, you know, <laughs> you can like, <laughs> but I love to dig 
and find out. And you know what? And and there there is an element um, of I can't believe I don't I don't know when we were talking about this. Were we talking about this, Shalise? I don't remember, but like it was um, doing. I think I was talking to my therapist actually, and we were talking about doing um, how she sees a lot of ex-Mormons. I mean, she, she was here in Pasadena, but now she's in Park City. But even when she was here in Pasadena, somehow ex-Mormons were gravitating towards her. Hmm. And she's just so impressed with how well they take to inner work. But hmm. there's an element that in Mormonism, we're so self-deprecating in a way that we're used to like looking at our own shit. And so it's like, there's not an aversion to it. That's true. And I was talking to her and I was like, well, yeah, d- d- doesn't everyone want to do this? She's like, no, <laughs> people don't want to look at their own shit. And I, I think that's a beauty that I learned from Mormonism. It's like, it's okay to be like, yeah, I, I'm not perfect. And I've got a lot of shit. Let's look at, let's look at it and, yeah. and figure it out. Yeah. Well, cause repentance is one of the things that we're encouraged to do. Yes. Uh-huh. Yeah. slash forced <laughs> <laughs> encouraged yeah forced. i think i think it's good that it it does give us the opportunity to look at ourselves um with a hard lens but also now we need to look at ourselves with humility and understanding and compassion instead of with the guilt and the shame and the torture that we put ourselves through yeah cool <sighs> i'm All filled right. with spirit <laughs> Guys, I just, I want to go watch Saturday's Warrior now. <laughs> I love that movie. That's a movie, right? The Saturday's Warrior? I mean, it was a play and then they, they did a movie of it. Um, yeah, that's what it was called. With like the 13 kids and the son yeah. is like, no, no more kids. And then he's like, but the ones in heaven need to come down. Yeah. yeah, that's it. Oh my gosh. Can that I was just the big conflict. I used now, to have the biggest fear after watching that movie so many times. I used to be afraid that one day I would get married and not have the right amount of kids that yeah, I wouldn't but, know that there were souls yes. up in heaven that needed to come down. I was afraid of that. And I was like 12. Yeah. Yeah. I, but in, in like, what's this whole thing that Mormonism makes you think that you could kind of fuck it up? You know, like this, this was something that Joseph Smith taught, like no unhallowed hand can stop the the work of God, you know, and this is another one of those, you know, like when the work of God is to do exactly what it is that we're doing. <laughs> like that is, that is what this is about and we're doing it. And so don't get so bent out of shape about it. And don't think that you can do anything that's going to mess it up or that there are certain souls in heaven that if you don't do this, then you're disappointing them. And you're, you're yeah. like, you could ruin it for everybody. Yeah. You know, like, boy, that's, that's a heavy thing that Mormonism put on us. That uh, is a nice thing to let go of. Yeah. And, and look at it in a way of like, we're all, we're all, we're all doing the work in a way because we're experiencing life. Yeah. And to not, and if people are doing life differently, you might see it as unhealthy or something, but they're, they're having their experience. And I think that's part of not judging is seeing, you know what, they're having the experience that their soul wants to have right now. And so mm-hmm. that's a beautiful thing. Usually. I mean, <laughs> We, we, we talked a little earlier sometimes yeah. where it might be kind of a difficult pill to swallow, but yeah. <laughs> but, but I think we pulled that one out with compassion. That was pretty good. <laughs> yep. Yeah. All right. Any, any final, any final words or co- anything that you guys wanted to talk about that we haven't we covered everything I did. Anything for you, Shalice? Yeah, I mean, there, there's a lot of stuff that I liked about Wendy's interview that has really nothing to do with Mormonism that I just found fascinating. Um, 
just real quick, I wanted to talk about the spider thing because I thought oh, yeah. it blew my mind. That, that was, was awesome. the one thing that I was like, yes, I yeah. get it now. We just want to say one other thing here. Think about it this way. You know, we mentioned that Earth has genetic material from thousands of wells. Mm -hmm. So think about all the variations of species that exist on your planet. Mm -hmm. And many of those have what you would consider to be a higher um, a higher representation, a more intelligent species, sure. all right, a conscious species. Right. Uh, it's just kind of, you know, they've taken a secondary role, if you will, on this planet for now. But that information is being donated to the collective consciousness because those beings are represented. So all of that history, spiders, for example, mm -hmm. uh, the spiders in other sectors of the galaxy are quite intelligent, they're highly organized, and they're quite aggressive. Mm. And, um, you know, you've had wars with the spiders and the fairies, and they have taken over many different planets, they're very conquering. And this still shows up in the collective psyche. Mm -hmm. Many of you have huge fear of spiders. Mm -hmm. And if you think about it from a logical standpoint, for the most part, most of them are not poisonous, mm -hmm. and they're very, very tiny. <laughs> right. And yet your fears around them are very, very large. Right. It's because this information is stored in the collective record. Interesting. Yeah. More so than, yeah, some other, there's even nastier looking insects that we, you know, beetles and things like that, that we're not afraid of. Yes. Yes. Interesting. Here comes the Spider-Man in the chair. So for people who haven't heard it, She's saying that we have a collective consciousness, and that's actually how she is channeling. She's channeling not just one Pleiadian, but the collective consciousness of the ninth dimensional Pleiadians as a whole. And that's something that I've looked into, and humans on Earth don't have this ability because we're so individuated. But eventually, that's the goal, is to get to a point where we can have a collective consciousness. Anyway, she's saying... If you think about it, we are all connected to this collective consciousness because in different planets and dimensions, spiders are horrible, invasive creatures that take over and invade planets. And there, it makes no sense at all why we would be afraid of spiders on this planet because they're so small and they're not poisonous most of the time, but we are terrified of them. And that just blew my mind. Yeah. 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 And that 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 concept is really fascinating to to get into and like, because it's this, it's the same, it's the same concept that she uses when she's talking about the level of compassion that we have then through the collective unconscious helps other beings in the galaxy resolve mm -hmm. their issues because they couldn't resolve it ex except for somehow our, ex our, our experience of compassion gives them the capacity to be compassionate, even though it wouldn't naturally come to them kind of like our fear of spiders isn't coming from the spiders on our planet. It's coming from the spiders that are in whatever yeah. galaxy they're in that are like some episode of star Wars that we haven't seen yet. Yeah. I just think it's wild to like play around with all of the ideas that she's talking about. Like the bird people, the reptilians. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I could go on all day about reptilians yeah. and the Anunnaki, but then yeah. you think about it. She's like, yeah, the bird people had a very big role here about 20,000 years ago. Well, look at the the um, Aztecs and the Mayans have like uh, Quetzalcoatl that is mm. a bird god. Or you have in Egypt, you have Isis and Horus that are, are like the winged gods. And it's yeah. like, there's got to be something to that. And I just yeah. think it's so much fun to play around with. 
Yeah. Well, we haven't even talked about Atlantis or Lemuria or you know, like oh, any geez. of those things that are part of the story too. But do you guys want to do, do you guys want to do another one of these? Yeah. Let's do it. I would love to keep doing these, Gwen. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That'd be fun. Yeah. That'd be fun. And I'm terrified of spiders and it's actually part of my big inner world, like dreaming of spiders and yeah. active events. So I'm wondering where, yeah, maybe if there's some spider, maybe some spiders traumatize me in my Palladian home world. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, and maybe that's why the Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse, that multiverse, that was the vehicle used to like introduce humanity to the idea of multiple versions oh, and multiple yeah. verses and stuff. That's also yeah. through spiders. So the spider Yeah, because Mike, you're one of the spiders you see is a good spider, right? Well, uh, like yeah, I mean, it's like the spirit guide of mine is a spider. It's like a uh, imagination. I dropped down. Well, it's been in dreams and yeah, this little inner spider lady. So Charlotte, I call her a rock name. But, oh. <laughs> Ooh, Does she ever like say that. salutations? <laughs> salutations. Salutations. <laughs> down the weapons that you use against yourself you don't need them anymore hey there thanks for listening all the way to the end now i really hope that you enjoyed today's episode i have more to say about this topic and i'm going to do that with a follow-up behind the scenes sharing time episode on patreon so if you're in a position where you can throw me a few dollars each month to support the work that i put into creating this podcast please come and support me on patreon where you'll also get access to additional content. Did you know that I also create sharing time episodes that are available only to Patreon subscribers? I've been doing that for a few years, so there's a lot of content there that you can have access to. So please come and support this podcast if you can. I greatly appreciate it. Hi, this is Hillary, Matthew, Ryan, Carol, Keith, Ashley, and I like to play bingo online while listening to Infants on Thrones. You can comment on this episode on the website, infantsonthrones.com. And if you really like what you hear, give the quorum a five-star rating and write a short review on iTunes. I did. I did. I did. Anyone for the closing prayer? My worst crime is an inside job. Dark thoughts taking over like an inside mob. I tune into the scene between the eyes. And take a breath. Thank you for listening to Infants on Front. I sit still and watch the thoughts flow past me. Never mind the future, never mind what the past be. I like to jump and let the universe catch me. You know, I laugh because people think that channeling is just something that a few people do, but everybody does it. And to me, it's it's like being an interpreter. I recognize frequency and I translate it into a recognizable form whether you know that's writing or whether it's speaking but I think any form of creative expression can be a form of channeling any form of creative expression can be a form of channeling any form of creative expression let's talk about channeling just as an aside here so what happens when you channel you open up your energetic field you start operating through the heart center all right you're working through the operating system that doesn't have distortions. When you're working in the mind, the mind was created and generated to create distortions so you wouldn't see the other probability re probable realities going on beside you. So that you would think that you're separate from source. That was the setup for the game and you all created the mind. You all created the mind. It's an illusion. It was the operating system. It was a way for you to keep attachments because about 300,000 years ago, you all could switch back and forth between your operating systems. 
and you knew that you were multidimensional beings and you wanted to be in density but you couldn't stay in density you kept popping out because you remembered you were creative beings oops so you created the mind to keep you in and once you started the illusion of the mind it went very very quickly the more you forgot the faster you forgot the faster you forgot the more you forgot and it works the same way as you go up the more you remember the faster you remember the faster you remember the more you remember and this is what's happening right now as you're going back up so channeling is bringing in energy and putting it into a recognizable form so what happens literally is your energy goes up beyond the third dimensional barrier of the mind you switch operating systems basically you increase your level of consciousness above the third dimensional level and our energy comes down and you interpret the frequency and you translate it and then you express it this evening when he's expressing it through word but it could very well be done through painting, drawing, singing, dancing, acting, any creative endeavor, creating pottery. Doesn't matter. It's an expression of that vibration into physical reality. Now, where does that energy come from? It can come from a variety of places. It can come from your higher self, it can come from your angelic guides, it can come from celestial beings, ETs, it can come from the dearly departed it can also come from the akashic records so it's just frequency that you can tap into and more often than not most of you are tapping into your higher higher selves and that's what's really coming through an expanded version trying to remind yourselves of things so you're bringing it through you're bringing through your memories of things that you loved, things that you love to do. You may find that you're somebody who is very proficient at working with pottery or you may be an amazing painter and you think, I've never painted before in my life, where is this coming from? But you have memories of doing it and you had so much joy and love for it that you wanted to pull it through again and play with it. And this will happen more and more as you start to integrate more of your higher selves into your vehicles. You're gonna remember more of these lifetimes where you had these skills and doing things that you absolutely love to do. Doesn't mean that you have to do them again, but you may rediscover them. Thank you for listening to Infants on Thrones. Infants on Thrones.